Hi guys and welcome to another SSI True Crime podcast with me, Hazel. Now I've got a couple of things I just want to say before I start. The first is I know on the last podcast I said this would be a special one. This isn't that one. Um, We're having a bit of trouble doing the collab but that will be with you as soon as we can sort the technical problems out. Um, also, I'm sorry that this has been, you know, a month. My upload schedule is rubbish, and I apologise for that. Um, and I think that's all I've got to say. So yeah, I'm sorry. And the special podcast is coming. She's got to give us a bit of time. Right. So today's case, I am doing Babes in the Wood, which happened in Brighton in the UK in 1986. Nicola Fellows and Karen Hadaway were both nine years old in October of 1986. They were best friends, even though they attended different school. They lived on the same estate, which was the Molescombe Estate. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. In Brighton, in the UK, specifically in England. On the 9th of October 1986, Nicola and Karen finished school at 3.30pm and both went home. Nicola was at home when there was a knock at the door. When she opened it, a 20-year-old man called Russell, Russell, sorry, Russell Bishop was standing there. Nicola had been told not to go near Russell as he had a bad reputation in the area. He was known f- as being a petty thief and for liking young girls. He was known to wolf whistle schoolgirls as they walked past him when he was doing roofing jobs. There were suggestions that Bishop encouraged local teens, local teen girls, um, to appear in homemade pornographic films, and that these films would then be passed around the men in like that lived on the same estate. He also had a teenage girlfriend, who was with him on this day at Nicola's house. Russell asked to speak to a lodger that lived at Nicola's house. But Nicola told him to go away and called his girlfriend to slag before shutting the door. Karen and Nicola went out to play. They were seen at around 5pm. So this was like an hour and a half after the incident with Russell. And they were seen by Nicola's mother. And they were playing roller boot. I'm not sure what that is. I'm assuming like rollerblades or something. I'm not sure. I've never actually heard that term before. The girls were seen again a little while later near a parade of shops. This was, this time they were seen by a 14 year old acquaintance of the family. So someone who could confirm it definitely was them. They were told to go home as their parents would be worried. But Nicola reportedly said to Karen, come on, let's go over to the park. Now by park, she was referring to Wild Park, where the girls were not allowed to go. The girls were seen again around 6.30pm near a police box in Lewis Road. Russell was also seen there wearing a light blue top. Now the light blue top will come into play later, so just remember he was wearing a light blue top. When the girls had not returned home by their bedtime, their parents began to panic. As this was really unlike them, they would, you know, they would always come home at their curfew, They didn't just go missing, they didn't run away. It wasn't something they were known to do. So Karen's mum called 999, which if you're in America, 999 is our emergency number, to report them missing. 
a massive search started which involved over 200 police officers and neighbours and actually Russell, who had been at the house earlier that day, also helped with the search. Russell claimed that his terrier, Misty, was a tracker dog and was insured for £17,000. This seems very unlikely, like he lived on a council estate, um, he was a roofer. What really are the chances of him owning a tracker dog and especially having it insured for £17,000? Like, I think I would assume that was a lie. After help and search for the girls, Russell made a comment to the police officers saying, I'm going to stop looking because if I find their bodies, people will think I did it. Now that is a very, like, weird thing to say. Um... Yeah, I can't even, like, get my head around, like... At the moment, they're just missing. They're not presumed dead, or... It literally sounds like he knows something the police don't. At this point, it hadn't even been 24 hours. So the chances of finding the girls dead were just... minuscule. And the police weren't looking for bodies. They were looking for the girls. On the afternoon of the 10th of October 1986, two teenage boys found Karen and Nicholas' bodies in a makeshift fort in the woods in Wild Park in North Brighton. One boy stayed with the bodies while one ran off to get a police officer. Both a police officer and Russell ran to the scene. The police officer said that Russell didn't go near the bodies and he wasn't even close enough to really see them. He just sort of stood back. Whereas Russell said that he ran up to the bodies and checked their necks for a pulse. That doesn't make sense. Like, why would the police officer lie? And plus, the police officer would have known it was a crime scene. So he wouldn't have let a member of the public, you know, run in. An autopsy was done on the girls and both had been strangled. And sadly, both had been sexually assaulted as well. It's just horrendous. They were so young honestly horrible their time of death was hard to determine but it was put around 8.30 on the 9th of October a light blue top was found nearby which was suspected to be Russell's so police took it to Russell's house when his girlfriend opened the door her first words were oh you brought Russell's jumper back the police asked her to confirm that this was definitely Russell's and she said yes because it had a red stain on it the police said they knew Russell had been in the area that the murders happened and they took Russell in for questioning. But Russell kept contradicting himself and gave different alibis. One was that he was in a local, local news agent as he went to buy a newspaper but realised he had no money. But the new agent said that he knew Russell well and that he definitely didn't come in that night. Russell then claimed he was at home all night but his girlfriend said that he had never come home that night. The police had already got Russell's girlfriend to wear a wire to see if she could get Russell to confess to the murder. But Russell found the wire and so never confessed anything to her. Uh, but due to this series of inconsistencies with his alibi, Russell was arrested on suspicion of murder on the 31st of October. So this was very quick. This was literally... Like, 21 days after the bodies were found? 
which some of the cases I cover it can take years to get an arrest so 21 days is quick. Russell went to trial in 1987 but he was acquitted due to a number of blunders in the investigation and trial. The pathologist and forensic investigation team failed to record the temperatures of the body and therefore they could not accurately accurately state a time of death. Now anyone that knows anything about murders and crime scenes and dead bodies being found that's the first thing they do and they use they tend to use a thing called um, a liver probe like that goes literally into the liver and then that will tell them basically the time of death so I don't really know why this forensic team didn't do that but they didn't at the trial the prosecution suggested the girls were actually killed between 6.15 and 6.30. And without scientific evidence to back up the time of murders, the prosecution could not challenge Russell's alibi on the night of the murder. Though the girls were strangled to death, neither measurements of hand marks around their neck or fingerprints left by the strangler were taken. That is just crazy to me. Like, why did they not do that? That would be, like, one of your main forensic evidence... And fingerprints is just, they do that with everything, no matter what the crime, really. Forensic scientists did not analyse blood discovered on Karen's underwear, which obviously it might have been hers, it might have been her attacker's. That definitely should have been analysed. And a key piece of the prosecution's case rested on the recovery of a blue Pinto brand sweatshirt. The top was found close to the railway line of muzzle comb station police believed russell discarded the top after attacking and killing the girls and were and was confident that the clothing held held had a lot of forensic clues on it the police did not properly preserve the evidence allowing russell's defense team to cast doubt on the reliability of the material under questioning russell denied that the sweatshirt even belonged to him but his girlfriend, whose name was Jenny Johnson, I'm sorry, I completely forgot to say that, alleged the clothing was Russell's. Prosecution hoped that this would undermine Russell's credibility and portray him as a liar who was trying to distance himself from a crucial piece of evidence. But at the trial, Johnson changed her story. She suddenly started telling the jury that she had never seen the top before, and he was found not guilty after only two hours of deliberation. Russell was convicted in December 1990 of a similar attack, though, on another Brighton girl. He was found guilty of the kidnapping and attempted murder of a seven-year-old girl in Whitehawk ten months earlier and was sentenced to at least 14 years in prison before he was eligible for release. He was turned down twice by the parole board. Nicola's father, Barry Fellows, was arrested in 2009 at his home in Ellesmere Port, Cheshire, on suspicion of rape and conspiracy to rape his deceased daughter before her death. Douglas Judd was also arrested for suspicion of sexual offences. A spokeswoman for the Sussex Police said the investigation into sexual abuse allegations was unrelated to the ongoing murder inquiry. No charges were brought against either man and they were subsequently released. In 2005, there was a repeal 
of the double jeopardy provision of the Criminal Justice Act of 2003. This meant that Russell could face a fresh trial if substantial new evidence came to light. Eurofin's forensic services were engaged, the same forensic team that helped bring the killers of Stephen Lawrence to justice. That's actually a very interesting case if you'd like me to do a podcast on that. Like, let me know in the YouTube comments and I can cover that case. Senior scientific advisor Roy Green at Eurofins was asked in August 2012 to re-examine the evidence and recovered a billion to one DNA match linking Russell to the discarded sweatshirt. A taping from Karen's left forearm was also found to contain Russell's DNA. On the 2nd of February 2018, the prosecution announced that Russell would be tried for the murder at the Old Bailey. In May 2016, <clears throat> he was removed from his cell at Franklin Prison in County Durham and taken to the local police station where he was arrested for murders of Karen and Nicola. The trial was scheduled for the 15th of October 2018. Russell suggested that Nicola's father, Barry, was to blame. Telling the jury, the police spent 32 years building a case against the wrong man. Russell was not in court every day for his nine-week trial and complained to the judge about feeling suicidal over his temporary stay at Belmarsh, requesting his return to Franklin. At the 2018 trial, the prosecution put forward a different timeline. Aldman presented evidence that the girls were alive at 6.30pm and that Russell returned to Wild Park. Defence witnesses at the 1987 trial returned as prosecution witnesses in 2018. At this trial, Altman argued the forensic samples taken as tapings in 1986 were so carefully handled by the police and preserved by scientists that he could present them as a time capsule to prove Russell's guilt. On the 10th of December 2018, so this is less than a year ago, after a nine-week trial at the Central Criminal Court, or the Old Bailey, a jury of seven men and five women returned a guilty verdict after two and a half hours of deliberation. Russell is sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommended minimum term of 36 years. He is likely to remain in prison for the total of at least 64 years or until he is 88 years old. Potentially the longest imprisonment served in the legal history of England and Wales. And that's today's case. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. It has obviously not a happy ending because two girls very sadly lost their life. But justice was done he it took a while but he finally had to pay for what he had done so thank you for listening and yeah if you're listening to this on youtube don't forget to like comment subscribe turn the bell on so you're notified when i post because i don't have a regular upload schedule and yeah i'll catch you in the next one bye guys